0: Tonight, once again, continuing on with the exploration of the five aggregates of clinging. These aggregates of clinging are what we keep finding ourselves grasping at. So, you know, it's almost as if we wrap our tentacles around these aggregates. Because of this, they can be our place of practice, looking to these aggregates, to come to know them for what they are, to see them clearly. It's not so enchanting that when we discover that what we're clinging to is material form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, or consciousness. And these are what we keep getting entangled with. As we practice with them, we begin to see that they're a dynamic process that is ceaselessly changing all the time. These aggregates are rising and passing away. We see how they're unstable, unsatisfying, and how painful it is when we cling to these aggregates. Putting these talks together Has been a very interesting process for me. Interesting in that, in my own experience, it highlights these aggregates. That's been one piece of it. But what another piece that I've noticed is each time that I begin with a new aggregate. You know, the first, uh, at first, beginning with material form, physical, uh, the physical form. I would, you know, call it to mind and reflect on it and think, oh yeah, this is really dukkha when we identify with it. You know, it was just no question about it. And then when I moved into Vedana, or the feeling tone of experience, and as I started reflecting on it, you know, just that habituated tendency to want to hang on to the pleasant and want to push away the unpleasant, and just seeing how deeply ingrained that habit is, and I thought, "Oh yeah, this is really it, you know because this is where we move into craving. this is really dukkha and then this week, when I started um, reflecting on tonight 's topic, sanya, a perception, and when I you know started reflecting on it, I thought, "Ah oh yeah, this just does it. you know we get tied up in knots over perception and then, you know, as I was feeling that, I just started thinking, wow, it is so hard to be a human being and to have just these basic functions that happen. And, you know, when we identify with them, it is so excruciating. It's so painful and it's so difficult. You know, it's really a challenge. You know, and we get all of these aggregates just by being born. You know, just as a consequence of that birth, these functions of mind and body happen. And then as soon as we start to identify with them, it becomes torturous. And then I just, you know, as I was reflecting on just getting this far, I could just feel my heart starting to open with compassion. Like, wow, this really can be suffering. So if you're experiencing any suffering in your practice, no need to take it so personally. You know, it's, you know, it's a challenge. And, you know, our practice is really to help us see through this, to really see into the way things are. At one point when I was uh, also doing some of this reflecting, I reflected on the Buddha having, uh, when he was talking about the first noble truth and saying, in short, the five aggregates of clinging are suffering. And then the next sentence in my mind was, and it is so. So, that's the way it is. So tonight, looking at the aggregate of perception. Perception being how we recognize name, label, categorize our experiences. We have this way that happens really naturally in the mind of organizing experience through association, through things that are similar. It's like if we are sitting here in the hall and we look down at the ground, What do we see? Floor. Now this is perception. We've probably seen many floors during our lives, and there's some qualities that are present, some proximity. Um, There is similar patterns that lead us to the perception of floor. When we look around the room, we might see cushion, chair, plant, light, these are all perceptions that come through association. These perceptions happen through any of the sense doors. Just in the hearing of my voice. You may have heard this voice before you hear the voice, Mioshan's voice? It's distinctive from Sarah's voice. Something common. If there was a pleasant melody playing, you might know it as music. If you hear the humming, knowing it as a mechanical sound. When perception happens, it's a way that we kind of pigeonhole experience into something that's recognizable to us. So each time there is an arising of experience through any of the sense doors, the mind goes into the cycle of naming, And organizing this information. And it happens at a very quick speed. And it happens over and over again. When um, sanya, or perception, gets translated, um, one of the descriptions of it is is it's the knowledge that seeks commonality. So defining our experience through commonality. The mind is cobbling together pieces of information that lead to a distinctive categorizing of all of these different experiences. This happens at a very rapid rate, which is completely amazing in itself, that there is the capacity to do this. It's like we have this... um, really highly developed organizing uh, filing cabinet. And, you know, in a split second it just goes to the right file. In the suttas, there's not a lot of descriptions given of what is meant by perception. There is one description where the Buddha said that blue, yellow, Red and white are perceptions. So when we see color, this is a perception. I think it's a good example because we can really see how constructed color is. That again, you know, there's a certain um, hues that will put into the color of red or blue or white, and yet, you know, it's it's um, a little bit arbitrary. You know, some people's green might be another person's blue, or one person's orange might be another person's red. Um, But, you know, there tends to be these common categories. It's really through convention that there's not something that is, that we can define as truly being yellow and being final and absolute. (coughs) So perception has any of the sense doors as its being, as being its base of perception. So there's said to be six types of perception relating to these sense doors. And The Buddha once described the outcome of perception being communication by speech. As one perceives a thing, so one expresses it, saying, So I have perceived it. And we find that perception is very tied into language and communication. It's very tied up with conventional reality. It's something that we learn uh, how to name, label all of these experiences as small children. Working with perception, we may notice that it does have a usefulness. There's many ways in which it can be helpful to us. It's helpful uh, to help us to remember different functions of things so that we know how to move through life, we know how to use a fork, a knife, We um, we remember how to walk. You know, there's a lot of usefulness in really basic ways. <clears throat> One time in my life, I—I I remem- there was a time where I really realized the value of perception. And it happened at a time when I was really quite sick and it affected my cognitive functions. And in that happening, it almost felt like a couple of the aggregates, uh, namely perception and volitional formations, had dropped off. And so what would happen is people would talk to me, and there would be some recognition of someone talking, uh, knowing that something was being said, but not being able to understand the words, having a sense that they wanted some response, but having no, no perception of what that response might be. Or one day I was uh, standing in front of a door, and it was closed. And there was knowing that there was an object in front of me, and there was knowing that something needed to happen to move through that door, but there was no recognition, no memory of what that was. And so, you know, out of things like that, we can see perception can be really useful. You know, it can really help us to function. Perception helps us to remember facts. It enables us to learn, to use this mind in skillful ways. I think it's uh, helpful to remember that there is a usefulness to perception because from here on I'm going to talk about some faults of perception and, um, you know, it's, it is also a natural function. So don't condemn yourself because the mind continually is perceiving. Actually, Tilopa, you know, a Tibetan master once said to Naropa, you are not bound by perceiving but by clinging. So cut your clinging, Naropa. So to remember that it's really in the way that we relate with this aggregate that we run into trouble. So, what's not so great about this functioning of perception? Perceptions are conditioned as a result of past experience informing the present moment. But, you know, sometimes we don't see so clearly, and with that, we get muddled perceptions that we continue to, uh, to say, not, that can keep continuing to arise because they're conditioned by prior moments of perception. And so they are, you know, based on false perceptions to begin with. And they're not accurately reflecting what is happening. The Buddha once equated perception with a shimmering mirage. And I think this description is really good um, because you know you, you, if you've seen a shimmering mirage on the horizon, it looks so real, it's so believable. And this can be the way our perceptions are, so real, so believable. And yet closer investigation would show them to be insubstantial, only an illusion. And if we try to grasp at these shimmering mirages, it would be like trying to grasp at thin air. So a painful part of perception is that we so often identify with these perceptions as being real, And we form views, ideas, notions, opinions, based upon these perceptions. And we get very attached to our perceptions. In... uh, I mean, recently in my life, I'm currently in process of doing a communications course. It's called Conscious Communications. And just as I was putting together this talk on perception, I was reading through my notes about uh, communication and it was talking about one of the areas that we commonly have trouble in communication and it's around perception. And so as I'm reading through about this um, communication and the word perception kept appearing and each time it appeared it was on italics. Because it was highlighting that we get so attached to our perceptions as being right. And then, as the Buddha said, we, you know, we perceive something in a way, and then it moves into our communication. And so we're attached to what we perceive, and it's not an accurate take on what's happening in the moment, and it creates problems, it creates suffering. And we see it over and over again in our communications in life i mean i'm sure we all have stories about the times when we so firmly stayed fixed to our perceptions and communications and you know how it just led into deeper and deeper dukkha i wanted to share um, something tonight it's a story that it's a true story and it It goes beyond just basic perceptions into the views and opinions that we hold, but the way that we can be so certain, and it can be so falsely based. So this is an actual transcript of a radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in 1995. The Americans, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, Recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course fifteen degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> it says something (laughs) being a Canadian I love it even more (laughs) so this attachment to our perceptions the sense of rightness Perception is also the the way that we recall to mind painful memories, events of our lives that are sad, sorrowful, hurtful. We find we don't have any control in the arising of these memories. They can come at any time. Have you ever been sitting very peacefully, calmly, quietly? And then suddenly you remember an event that was really painful. And what happens to that peace, that calm, that quietness? We didn't ask the memory to come. It simply came. It arose. We had no control. It was ungovernable. We might be sitting here, peaceful, calm, quiet, and we have a memory of a loved one arise. And suddenly we're caught in wanting or feelings of loneliness, separation. Or maybe it's a memory of someone who died that was dear to us. And there arises a huge sense of loss. These memories, they simply arise. We might also find at times that there's fear related with what we perceive. We become frightened, terrorized by the appearances in the mind. these perceptions are ungovernable, they simply come. We have no control over when they come. Sometimes they're very inopportune moments. You might be sitting and um, eating the first strawberries of the season, and you have this big bowl of fresh strawberries and whipped cream, and you're just delighting in the eating of these strawberries. And then suddenly comes to mind the sight of a dead animal. And it jars you. It came so quickly. It came out of nowhere. But it affected you so strongly that suddenly you can't eat another mouthful. Sometimes it'll happen in our lives that during the day we come in contact with frightening images Maybe we're uh, reading a book and there's um, something that's quite frightening about it, or watching a movie. Or maybe we actually got scared by an event during the day. And then we go to bed at night and these fearful perceptions can arise in the dream state. And again, they have a strong effect. We know we can't sit down and decide to have only pleasant perceptions. They're ungovernable. The Buddha once said that there were four distortions of perception that I'd like to talk about. He said there was four very recognizable ways that we have tendencies to misperceive our experiences. The first distortion of perception is that of taking something that is impermanent and perceiving it to be permanent. When you look at the life of a human being, in some way, there's n- it's not surprising that there's this tendency to want to make permanent that which is impermanent. Because the um, experience is changing so quickly and it's so unstable that we can really feel at sea in this change when we're aware of impermanence. It induces feelings of fear, distress and anxiety It's really not at all uncommon that um, as a yogi, when you really start to get an acute sense of impermanence, that fear can arise. Because you know, there can be feelings of such instability, almost like the ground beneath our feet is just constantly falling away. That you know, you go to pick up something and you can just feel it changing second by second by second, as if there's nothing there to hang on to. It's such an insubstantial feeling when we're really acutely aware of this impermanence. And so what happens when uh, in our lives is that there's this pull to comfort, pull to security. And so we start trying to perceive things as permanent. That gives a sense of comfort. Again, a sense of security. (coughs) (coughs) We can do this easily by not looking closely. When we don't look closely, there's a feeling of continuity. You know, we're not seeing this rapid arising and passing away. And so the world can appear more stable, (coughs) more permanent. But it will happen in our lives where, at some point, something will break this illusion. And, you know, if we're wise enough, we'll use that as a time to look deeper, to see, to see into the truth of the way things are, so that we're not fighting the way things are. If we're not so wise, if we're um, really caught in delusion, then we will just start seeking permanence again, trying to find that comfort, that sense of security. But that's really uh, where we're misguided. You know, we're falsely placing our hearts upon permanence when all conditioned things are impermanent. But when we start to see in truth this perception of impermanence rather than permanence, it helps to break that tendency to cling, to want to hang on to, to want to hold on, because we see the futility of it. So the first distortion of perception being the taking of something that is impermanent and perceiving it as permanent. The second distortion of perception is to take something that is unsatisfactory and to perceive it as being satisfactory. This can be tied in with impermanence. When we're not seeing the impermanence, we're not realizing the unsatisfactory nature of all experiences that there's no lasting happiness to be found in these experiences. Even with pleasant experiences, one day they will cease to be. We don't see this, so we have a distorted view of things being satisfactory. And again, you know, if we look at it on one level, who wants to walk around in life seeing dukkha everywhere. Know that just seeing unsatisfactoriness everywhere. Um, If we identify with that, it's really painful. You know, we will just end up feeling depressed, uh, really in a state of woe if we're identified with this unsatisfactoriness. And so, what do we commonly do? We put on these rose-colored glasses that um, keep us from seeing the unsatisfactoriness, and and you know this continual looking for things to be satisfactory. <clears throat> we keep trying to believe that we can be fulfilled through our experiences, and so one disappears, so we just get another one. That's okay, you know, and we just keep going, we just keep chasing, keep going after these experiences. But we find that becomes tiring. Or something shatters, you know, at some point we really see this is not working. It's not a viable way to find satisfactoriness. The Buddha once said, there is one thing, the not-seeing of, which keeps us unfree, keeps us bound on the cyclic wheel of becoming. That one thing is the truth of suffering. And it's really, you know, a difficult turn in our lives to go from the thinking that things are satisfactory to actually looking into the truth of unsatisfactoriness. But when we do, When we really look, we see how impersonal it is. That things are just unsatisfactory by the nature of their arising and passing away. We see that we have this misperception of satisfactoriness. So the second distortion of perception is taking something that is unsatisfactory and perceiving it to be satisfactory. The third distortion of perception is the taking of what is not self and projecting self onto it. Well, I think we do this <laughs> over and over again. No, there is such a tendency to uh, perceive I am whatever is being perceived. I am thinking. I am remembering. I am the One. You know, if we look at at the way memory works, that if we're not really closely paying attention, we don't, don't just see how suddenly memory arises. We have the sense that I'm the One who remembers something from the past, I am the one who is calling it to mind right now. I am the one who is doing this. We take it to be self. Through this, um, of taking of what is not self and projecting self onto it, It's the way that we define things in our experience, where we move into a subject-object relationship, where, you know, if we look at just the body and how we define self as being this entity sitting here, Um, my hair, and yet if my hair falls in your soup, is it still my hair? You know, um, you know, we have these arbitrary boundaries of things, and we're always dividing the world up into these things. We hold to the idea that we exist as a solid, permanent, separate, continuous, and defined being. And this is really kind of a strategy of defining the impermanent and unstable objects. It's a way that we give more of that sense of solidity because there can be such a discomfort with the instability, the unstable changing. It's really important to pay attention to this sense of I am as we perceive it in our experience. Unless we pay attention to where this configuration of self arises, we won't see into its true nature. We will believe this construction of I am. So, the third distortion of perception being the taking of what is not self and projecting self onto it. The fourth distortion of perception is to take something that is unbeautiful and imagine it as beautiful. A couple of simple ways to describe this know what we see a beautiful man or woman, and we can be caught in the scene of this beauty, and not seeing the pus, the phlegm, the urine, the feces, the brain, the heart, that we are only seeing on one level. Or a beautiful flower. We see a flower in full bloom, and we forget that in you know, two days' time or however long that flower will be wilting, withering, decaying, decomposing, and may start to stink at some point. We're not looking to what is hidden, we're seeing things on a superficial level. So the fourth distortion of perception is to take something that is unbeautiful and imagine it as beautiful. It's looking to your experience to see how you do this. And just to say that I'm speaking of distortion of perceptions here, but the Buddha said that this also applies to thoughts and views. So these are common distortions of perceptions, thoughts, and views. So through our meditation practice, we will begin to notice these distortions. Um, We will begin to see that things are not the way that we once perceived them to be. That there is, we do get this sense of there being an illusion. We see that, you know, what we perceive to be true in one moment might be changed in another moment, that um, these perceptions are at times oppressive, at times unmanageable, they're not subject to our will, and are therefore not self. They're not one's inner core. They are simply conditioned phenomena. And as we pay attention to perception, we will see how they color our vision. And in the seeing that, not to judge it, to hold it lightly, but to look deeper, to sharpen our perception through practice. I mean, we can see this in a simple way in our practice, when when we notice that we have pain, um, and if we're perceiving it as pain, Pain in itself can have a great weight to it. When we let our perception sharpen and we notice the qualities of that experience, and it can be in the letting go of the pain this, uh, that has some kind of value, um, you know, that it's actually an experience we don't want to have, but we just experience the qualities that are there. There can be a lightning that happens with that experience. <clears throat> As we continue on in our practice, we will begin to see the perception of impermanence, the perception of unsatisfactoriness, and the perception of the insubstantial or illusory nature of experience. I was thinking about how, um, you know, commonly in therapy practices today, there is therapies that work with perception in the retraining the mind around perception, when we've had, you know, really detrimental perceptions that create a lot of suffering in our lives, and that there's work that's done to retrain the mind. And then I found a couple of examples in suttas where the Buddha talked about uh, similar training. Um, in one sutta, he talked about... Uh, this is a kind of a, a translation into the practice that he was talking about. But he talked about when there's lust-inducing objects, uh, that one can see the faults of these objects, or the impermanence of these objects, and thus seeing that they... through that, seeing that they are unagreeable. Or if there's hate-inducing objects to imbue them with loving-kindness or view them as being impersonal elements. Or he said, having seen a form with the eyes cognized, uh, mind-object with the mind, one is neither glad nor sad, but abides in equanimity, mindful and clearly comprehending, comprehending. Thus one avoids both the agreeable and the unagreeable aspect. So, you know, it's really working with when, when there's uh, greed, lustful objects there, that one uses perception to, you know, see what is unagreeable with that object. You know, which can be just in that it is impermanent, that it's not going to give this lasting satisfaction. So, training the mind to look deeper when we have a habit of aversion to an object, that we can train the mind towards loving-kindness, or we can see that it's impersonal. And then, you know, a great way that he talked of, of really working with this aspect of perception, is what we do in our practice, where we learn to be with all that is agreeable and unagreeable, where the mind becomes non-reactive to this, abides in equanimity. This practice in the commentaries is described as Arya idi, or noble magic, or the power of the noble ones. It's a kind of subtle magic of transformation by which habituated emotional attitudes can be changed or replaced by equanimity. There was also a time where there was a, uh, a very sick monk and Ananda was trying to get the Buddha to go and visit this monk. And um, the Buddha told Ananda that he wouldn't go and visit him, but that uh, Ananda could go and tell him of uh, about ten perceptions, and about, upon hearing these perceptions, he would be cured from his affliction. And so it seemingly these ten perceptions are helpful perceptions. So remembering that there is a positive uh, side of perception. So what were these ten perceptions? The perception of impermanence. Form is impermanent. Feeling, perception, volitional formations, consciousness all impermanent. The perception of non-self. The eye is non-self, forms are non-self, the ear is non-self, the sounds are non-self, nose is non-self, odor is non-self, tongue is non-self, tastes are non-self, body is non-self, tactile objects are non-self, and mind is non-self, mind objects are non-self perception of non-self, the perception of foulness. And here this is referring to the 32 parts of the body. The perception of danger. Danger in this way is to reflect on the constant danger of the body to different ailments. The perception of abandoning, to abandon thoughts of sensual desire ill-will, unwholesome mind states. The perception of dispassion, dispassion where there's no pull of the mind to experience. The perception of cessation, the stilling of formations, the relinquishment of acquisitions, destruction of craving, cessation, Nibbana, the perception of disenchantment with the whole world, abandoning the clinging to the world, any mental standpoints, adherences, and underlying tendencies, the perception of impermanence in all formations, no attraction to any formation, and the last. Perception being the perception of mindfulness, of breathing. And this is where he described the Anapanasati Sutta. The commentaries described wholesome perception as being the recognition of elements essential for liberation. So through our practice, we can see perceptions for what they are. See them in their arising, their being there, they're disappearing. We can begin to recognize at times when these are false perceptions, unhelpful perceptions. We can see that they too are a natural functioning of the mind, not that we need to battle with, but just to see this function of mind. Just to remember that this is just phenomena arising and passing away again. Looking to see whether there is a perception I am. The Buddha once said that the five aggregates should be fully understood. He described full understanding as the destruction of lust, the destruction of hatred, and the destruction of delusion. So looking to these aggregates looking to see them as they are, as a way of destroying greed, hatred, and delusion. The simile that the Buddha used for perception, now suppose that in the last month of the hot season, a mirage was shimmering, and a man with good eyesight were to see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. To him, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a mirage? In the same way, one sees, observes, and appropriately examines any perception that is past, present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near. Seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in perception? So again we'll conclude the talk with sitting for a few moments and turning towards this aggregate of perception. Letting the mind become open, spacious, Relaxed and easy, yet alert, knowing within this spacious awareness, noticing the different experiences that arise become known, and pass away again. Noticing that there are distinctive experiences. We can distinguish between breath, from sound, from touch, Sights, smells, thoughts, mind states. Perception distinguishes these experiences. Can be different levels of perception, hearing my voice. It might be Mioshin's voice. Or it might be perceived as hearing. Or it might be perceived as vibration. Now bringing the attention to the whole body, having a sense of the whole body, and try to hold this perception of only just the whole body. What happens? Is there a perception of the whole body? Or does the perception break into parts, experiences? Does the perception change moment by moment? And then notice if there's a painful area in the body. Perception knows the pain. And then keep the focus on the pain, but let go of the naming of pain, and instead note the qualities. Tightness, heat, pressure. Perception recognizes the qualities. Is there a difference when we perceive it as pain and when we perceive the qualities? As we notice perception, is there a sense I am perceiving? Or is perception simply happening? Each moment of contact through the sense doors. sitting with an open awareness, noticing all of the different experiences that arise and pass away, all little bits of perception, data being received, from the Buddha. Perceptions are not self. If perceptions were self, then they would not tend to afflict or oppress. And one should be able to control perceptions. Thus, let my perceptions be not unpleasant. But in reality, perception is not self. It is oppressing, and no one can wish for and manage thus. Let my perceptions be thus. Let my perceptions not be thus then what is impermanent, suffering, and subject to change? Is it proper to be regarded as this is mine, this I am, this is myself? No. Not I, not mine, not myself. Dynamic processes arising from conditions. Paying close attention to see how this is so.